When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At the end of the day, all that you care about is which players to draft. It's that simple. Hayden Winks can tell you what the, the spreadsheets say. Brett Coleman can tell you how the Dolphins offense is going to change Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle's season. But in the end, you just want to know who to draft and where. And you hear enough from Hayden Winks and myself. So we brought in a very, very special guest. He just talked through every single team on his bootleg football podcast. He also breaks down film on YouTube unlike any other with a drink in, in hand. Brett Coleman, welcome to the show to teach the people the seven must-have players for their 2022 fantasy football draft. How you doing, man? Uh, by the way, it's noon, so I can actually start drinking my <laughs> Monaco. just want to make well, it known open. It's afternoon now. The people um, need to drink after uh, these these names you're about to give them. Let's put it that way. No, and, and for people that actually did listen to the whole series that I did uh, on every single team with EJ this summer. They're the ones who actually know who Eric Azucama is already. Mm-hmm. And they probably already drafted him because mm-hmm. we were screaming from the rafters from the moment he was drafted, that he's going to be a difference maker for them. And so far he is. Right. One of my favorite things of doing drafts with you in the past and watching some of your content is you take stands. You are not afraid of a player takes in the least bit. In fact, I remember God, this time last off season, you were saying how much you love Khalil Herbert. And I was like, I mean, he's kind of just a guy like it's David Montgomery's backfield. And then as soon as Khalil Herbert got an opportunity last year, he's already one of my favorite players in the league, Brett. So I'm excited to, uh, to hear about some of those names today too. I mean, I also did say I was going to, no, we don't, we know it's a forward thinking show, forward thinking (laughs) program here. (laughs) I was just a year early on. IU. how about that? We're just going to go with that. Yep. Well, Speaking of that name, Hayden, why don't we jump into this? You and I have given our must-haves. Also, Brett has his draft guide. I think it's just whatever you want to pay for it. It's via your Patreon. People can find that on your YouTube channel. Let's get into it. These are really fun names, not just at the top of the draft, but in the middle and later parts. And we kick it off with Cortland Sutton. I'll set this one up quickly, Brett, because I think what we learned last year with the Cooper Cup dynamic is sometimes it's basically impossible to guess how much of an impact a really good quarterback has on some of the top wide receivers around them and just how high the ceiling can be. Can Cortland Sutton be that player who's already shown really good in the past, but jump to the elite level this season? 
and, you know, kind of drawing the comparison between that Cooper Cup jump and, and Cortland Sutton. Cooper Cup, I think, in June of last year was going in the fifth round, and he was one of the shared characteristics amongst a lot of the teams that finished highest in Best Ball Mania. And Cortland Sutton in June of this year was also going in the fifth rounds. So people are wondering, okay, is he going to be that next guy? And you have to take into account the offense that Cup was in last year as well as obviously the quarterback upgrade. But what even myself failed to account for was Matthew Stafford's arm strength in terms of how it stretches the field makes Sean McVay's favorite pass concept on planet Earth, which is weak side flood, even better because now safeties absolutely are scared of that top layer of flood. And that vertical stretch between the player and the flat uh, and that deep threat opens everything up for Cooper Cup, who was the mid-level option when they run flood ten to twelve, you know, ten to twelve times a game. So he ended up getting a lot of production on either sail routes or deep crosses and all those types of concepts as the mid-level threat, where he was just almost completely uncontested because of those vertical stretches. And so I think when it comes to Cortland Sutton, a we have to look at not just the talent, but we have to look at the offense that he's in and the Broncos are, you know, throw out whatever, you know, Hackett's going to be doing. The Broncos are inevitably going to be running the Russell Wilson offense because that's yep. what every coordinator that Russell's ever worked with has eventually done, which is okay. We're going to be working everything outside the numbers. He loves throwing nine routes down the boundary. Doesn't really work the short intermediate or short middle of the field. He'll work kind of, you know, 15 plus yards over the middle, but anything, short and over the middle it's it's not really going to happen and you know looking at russ regardless of the oc that he's had he targets outside receivers 75 percent of the time he just doesn't really work with slot receivers and sutton is predominantly an outside receiver and i think the the question for me is not will sutton be the number one i think he absolutely will going away just because of the skill set he brings and the offense he's going to be in the question is, how much earlier should you be drafting him than Jerry Judy? And I think the trap that people are falling into is they're looking at their ADPs and thinking it's going to be a 1A, 1B type situation. I don't think it will be. I think people are drafting Sutton too late, and I think they're drafting Judy too early. And so for me, I'm not that I don't love Jerry Judy, but he probably won't end up on any of my underdog teams this year because he's going earlier than I'm willing to take him. So I'm probably going to have all Sutton, no Judy in pretty much all of my leagues. Yeah, and I think that's the way to do it. The scheme fit matches up better with Cortland Sutton on those deep routes. I think last year, Cortland Sutton, there was, uh, before the season started, there was a lot of reports saying, like, he just doesn't look right. There's some videos that we saw, and, like, Cortland Sutton was just battling out there. He was wearing a brace. Now we have news that KJ Hamler, who's penciled in to be the number three he's gonna be wearing a brace he's still working back from his injury jerry judy kind of oversells routes kind of the flashy player but hasn't fully just popped out yet and i think that Cortland sutton if i'm betting on who's the better player i think it's Cortland sutton and that the better scheme fit no question is Cortland sutton i'm drafting him in the third round i'm all the way in with you i i'm keep going back and forth with jerry judy because i can see him taking the next step Right. Um, and I do think he's going to be playing on the outside this year. But to me, once you t take away Tim Patrick, once you kind of lower expectations for KJ Hamler off the injury, once you lower the expectations for Albert O, who's playing into the fourth quarter, the ball is going somewhere. And I can see DK Metcalf type uh, stat lines from Cortland Sutton this year.
Yep, Brett. I think that Cortland Sutton has graduated from the danger zone of wide receivers. Like he was in that grouping with the Jalen Waddles, Allen Robinsons, Marquise Browns, even Jerry Judy, his teammate. And I think he has now jumped up a level to where Mike Williams and, and DJ Moore are going. Would you rank him over any of those names that I just talked about throwing Keenan Allen if you want to? throw in Michael Pittman because in order to him to be a priority, you almost have to rank him as like the wide receiver 12 potentially. I do have him as wide receiver 12 there off the top go. of my head. I, th- I have him like one spot ahead of Pittman. And then yep. I think right after him, I have uh Keenan. I think Evans is there as well. And then Deontay's like right after that. So, because there's a whole bunch of guys between wide receiver seven and wide receiver 20 that you could argue being in those last five spots for wide receiver one. Sutton is is one of those guys where I feel most confident that he's going to end up as a top 12 receiver. I like that a lot. I had Charles Robinson on the show last week, and he talked about how much he is putting Jerry Judy under his wing, like asking him to go to quarterback meetings with him. And we kind of theorized that that doesn't mean that Jerry Judy, his go-to guy, that it most likely means that he knows Cortland Sutton has already arrived. Like he's already that dude, and he knows in order for – the Broncos to have a really top season. Jerry Judy also has to be the guy because Tim Patrick is no longer in the fold. And so just getting Judy up to that level to help the offense so much to match what Cortland Sutton is doing. And I'm with you. I mean, hopefully it happens. Maybe it's a blind spot for me, but I am so much less sold on JJ than I am versus Cortland Sutton because he was almost there. I mean, coming out of SMU, I thought Brett, he had potential to be the best wide receiver in that class if it all came together. And like just before that injury, he was on the cusp of being like an alpha wide receiver across the league. And as we know, it can take a year plus to come back from something like that. I had him as my wide receiver one coming out in the draft that year. In terms of a mock draft, I put him with Dallas at like 19th overall. And then they ended up trading for Amari that year. But like I've I've loved him even since he was in college. And I've been waiting for this you know, moment where we're like four years into his career. I've been waiting for him to finally like arrive and be that guy. I think we're yeah. finally there. I think we can all see the moonshots that hit to Tyler Lockett and hit to DK Metcalf going in the direction of, uh, of Cortland Sutton. Okay. Let's bounce to the running back position. And Brett, I've got to be honest with you. Travis Etienne is on my do not draft list this year. Convince really? me otherwise. Convince me otherwise. So I, I kind of, it's going to be an interesting argument because we look at what Debo did where he's a wide receiver playing running back. I think ETN might be a little bit of a running back that ends up playing wide receiver a lot. I think that he's going to, you know, especially once Robinson's like kind of hundred percent, I think we're going to see a lot of quote unquote two back stuff where ETN's on the field, but they're putting him in the slot or, you know, maybe they're both in the backfield and Robinson's a quasi fullback for him. I think that, they are going to manufacture touches for ETN in a lot of the same ways that Debo got his touches manufactured for him in San Francisco. They they have different letters next to their name, but I think the role is going to be very similar. Because um, remember, even Debo is a wide receiver. Like a lot of his targets are you know screen games, slants, all the kind of stuff that ETN also does really well. So I think just take the position out of it and look at the role and look at the amount of touches he's going to get and also look at what he can do with those touches i was uh, i was talking to a track coach who looked at etn's running form mm-hmm. post-injury compared to pre-injury 
And he's he's kind of fixed his gait a little bit. And he did have a gait when he was at Clemson that a lot of trainers looked at it and track coaches looked at it and said, he's going to get hurt. And then, of course, he got hurt. His gait is a lot different now. And so people are speculating that, okay, he might actually be a more efficient mover and potentially less prone to lower leg injuries because he's a more efficient runner from a biomechanical perspective. Oh, and by the way, he also ran 4-4 before and he still runs 4-4 now. So I love ETN's potential. Um, I had him like just outside of my top four running backs in terms of pre-draft ranking, but I'm I'm higher on him now than I was when he was coming out of Clemson and was a first-round draft pick. So I'm I'm big on ETN this year. I think uh, I think he's a fantastic player. I think Josh and I both agree with all of your takes there, yep. except I'm looking at it from the negative angle where in the third, fourth round, which is where he's going, which is a little higher than where on underdog versus some of the other sites. It's I'm, I'm nervous that if you are the manufactured touch guy, if you're not going to get the standard touches. And I think Josh and I going back to his uh, college profile and some of the snaps he's had in this preseason, is he a consistent enough rusher between the tackles to be relied upon in short yardage? Or is he going to work all the way down the field and in comes James Robinson or Snoop Connor? near the goal line in these two back sets is he just gonna be the jet motion guy and not actually getting the ball enough so i i agree with you he's extremely explosive i hope they manufacture touches because i think that gets the best out of his skill set i'm not sure if he's a consistent enough player to be the short yardage guy in this offense he's always looking for the home run threat and i'm just curious if this coaching staff who didn't draft him is going to put him in that role or if that's ultimately going to come back to james robinson who's the exact opposite of ETN, he is a consistent rusher. He's not the big play threat. So, Josh, I'm kind of curious where you think like yeah. goal line touches go. Yeah, for sure. And just quickly on that, Brett, we've already, I think, seen a little bit of a development from him from week one of the preseason to week two of the preseason. This is a care in week one of the preseason against the Browns, where you can clearly see the the hole. I mean, it's right there, mm-hmm. and he had this instinct to to want to bounce it outside, and then obviously he still creates because he's Travis ETN and. He's got mm-hmm. movement, but then in week two of the preseason, these aren't flashy runs, but he's going exactly where he's supposed to go, where the play is drawn up to, right? It's front side, boom, follow my pulling lineman, and then we get up the field. Same exact thing with the pulling tight end here on the second snap. Believe that is Dan Arnold working across. And then again, nothing flashy, but this is exactly what we yeah. want to see him getting trash and, and him get put his head down and, and, and get what he can versus obviously trying to create the big play every single time. And I'll tell you what, in that last play, which was counter, if he bounced on counter, he would not get another touch this preseason because <laughs> yeah. his running back coach would be like, "Yeah, what are you doing? That is not designed that way. So at least he can just execute the play as it's drawn up. When he bounced on zone, that one's uh, – obviously you want him to just hit it. Zone is a little bit more free for him. On counter – is like it's drawn buddy, up. You got you got one angle. You got to hit right. it. <laughs> you yeah. know. So right, yeah. I'm I'm happy he at least did that. Um, going back to your point, Hayden, about who's getting goal line touches. My worst nightmare is that this ends up being uh, 2021 Cardinals part two, where it's Chase Edmonds between the 20s, and then we get in the red zone, and it's James James Connor all day. Yeah, I'm terrified that that's where we're going with this, and so I can see the trepidation of not drafting him in round three because of that. The reason why I have him in round three is because you look at all the round one and round two backs, there is a cliff. Oh, yeah. An absolute cliff. Like, pretty much once you get to, like, 
Aaron Jones and Saquon, which is your last, you know, throwing a bottle in the ocean. That's our prayer. After that, then you're looking at, okay, we got ETN. We're hoping Brees Hall, you know, maybe Dave Montgomery, but again, that's a dart throw. You got James Conner, who you're relying almost entirely on. We're so in. We are so in on James Conner, but just for red zone. No. So I, this is taking a show in a different direction, but let me convince you of James Conner since you just did that with me of Travis ETN. Okay. Um, I think last year, as you just outlined, and I think a lot of people misinterpreted the Chase Edmonds versus James Conner situation last year because they, I hear it so often this summer, oh, it's James Conner in early downs and Chase Edmonds came in for the passing situation. That wasn't true at all. It was Chase Edmonds between the 20s and then James Conner came in for the high value touches. But in the games that we saw that Chase Edmonds was absent, James Conner came in and dominated throughout the entire field. Plus, then when he needed a breather, then boom, you brought in someone else, right? Um, by their wallets, I think they have committed to James Conner in a full-time situation. They didn't really go out there and draft anyone other than Keontae Ingram. Daryl Williams is on thin ice. Maybe Eno Benjamin is like the spell, but I don't think anyone's going to elevate and again, monetarily or draft pick wise, no one has elevated to what they had invested in Chase Edmonds. And so I think by his contract, Chase James Conner is like the, the full-time player of 70, 65 plus percent. You're kind of smirking like you know something else. And and I'm nervous by that. that, that this is a Keontae Ingram breath. take, isn't it? Uh, I wish it was. <laughs> um, the guy who is going to come ruin all of us is John Ward. John there Ward was a positive is- report about him. Yeah. He, they were and again. This was just in the preseason where they were rotating a whole bunch of backs in together. Yep. They, when it came to all the, you go back and watch that first game. Who was it against Cleveland? Whatever preseason week one was, uh, no, it was, I can't remember what team it was. Um, go back and watch all their third downs and all of their obvious passing situations. Ward was the back on the field because they felt most comfortable putting him in slot, and also they felt comfortable. Um, because a lot of what they like to do is if they're not using six-man protections, they'll put their best receiving back out there to be a fast three to the flat to kind of create a whole bunch of horizontal stretches for them. Ward was the back they were using for that. It wasn't Williams. It wasn't Eno. It, and these all these guys were playing in that game. It wasn't Keontae. It was Ward, regardless of who was getting, you know, straight up early down carries in those series. So, Obviously, having five running backs in one team it spells committee of doom, but specifically for who's going to hurt Connor, uh, I think it might actually be Ward because he's going to get a lot more third down work than people think. Once we're in the red zone, obviously, it's going to be Connor all day, but then we're kind of back to being what we were last year, which is we're hoping that a lot of his production is going to come from touchdowns and everything else, it, it's it's a straight up prayer for me. So pretty much anywhere from like round three until you get to uh, like round where it's Damian Pierce going like seventh these days. Yeah. Pretty much that, that like hell hole between round three and round six. It's really tough for me to believe. Like I have running backs ranked there, but I don't right. truly believe in any yeah. of them. So I actually might, this is going to sound weird for basketball because I typically like to hit receiver early. I found myself, going at least one running back in the first two rounds Mm -hmm. just to get myself through that hellscape until we can get to Damian Pierce or 
Brian Robinson or all those guys that I feel a little bit more comfortable with. Okay. Let's jump to another player. Next up on your list, the third, Deontay Johnson. So lots of changes in Pittsburgh. I'm interested to see and hear what you have seen so far in a Matt Canada offense because it certainly feels like for my amateur eye that he's wanted to run all these fun, scripted plays, lots of motion, but Ben just never wanted to turn his back to the defense, never wanted to do some (laughs) fancy window dressing before the snap. And now he might unleash it with a trio of Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and George Pickens. Uh, this one of the main reasons why I, I bring Deontay Johnson up, and I say this as somebody who's extremely hyped about George Pickens. I think George Pickens could eventually be the number one on this team. If it doesn't happen this year, it might happen next year, just because of, of how talented Pickens is. You know, I, I had him as a, a tier one receiver in this class, and were it not for that injury issue, he very easily could have gone in the first round. I thought he was going to be a top oh, yeah. 15 pick. So Pickens, I think, eventually could be the guy. But for now, one of the reasons why I'm so hyped about Deontay Johnson is the work that he's done with Kenny Pickett. And I think that the chemistry that Pickett has with Deontay is far beyond what I expected it to be right now. And I'm, I'm doing a, a film room episode on this that's coming out, I think, tomorrow. And you can see Pickett reading the, the, the touchdown that didn't count yep. last week, right? Remember, because remember he threw that seam route to Deontay. So they ran uh, mirrored rail seam combos to either side of the field. And you, had, you had Pickens uh, running it on one side and Deontay running it on the other. And the corner was leveraged so far inside on cover one, basically saying like, you're not going to inside release on this seam. I'm going to make you go around. And Pickett literally kind of drifted in the pocket to make the safety lean away from it, knowing that Deontay was still going to have to go outside, but he trusted him to still get to that spot on the seam route through an outside release, get over the top, stack on the corner, shake and get back inside. He trusted him to do it. I think a lot of other corners might've just said, ah, fuck it. Pickens is over there. He's got an inside release. I'm going to do that one. Like, no, he planned it going into that play hey, safety's leaning to the strong side. I'm going to drift a little bit to get him to commit even further. I'm going to trust Deontay to get to that spot backside. That's the only throw I can make. I'm going to make it. And he delivered, and Deontay went up and got it. Unfortunately, offsetting penalties took away that touchdown, but Pickett trusted Deontay to get there, and he got there. So I think if and when Pickett starts, which is going to be maybe sooner than people thought, Deontay is going to be his guy. George Pickens might be his guy eventually but for now i think it's all deontay johnson i was super impressed with kenny pickett agree with you i think uh deontay johnson winning underneath and where kenny pickett's been throwing the ball uh this preseason i also think a little bit um at Pitt as well i think they match up very well again and I, i haven't seen that many deep routes yet um i think that those are coming eventually but deontay johnson wins underneath he's very shifty and he manipulates defenders at the line scrimmage and we saw that uh last week so um, I keep going back and forth because I just don't know how much of a baller George Pickens is. Like I can see George Pickens just going out He's there a and being a thousand yard receiver immediately. And that would be, it would be hard for this offense to have Najee Harris in round one, Deontay in round four, and then George Pickens somewhere around five or six, if he, that full breakout's coming. So uh, I'm not sure. All I know is I think Kenny Pickett's going to be pretty good. I think that everyone's underestimating Kenny Pickett. That's my only analysis here. Brett, you've seen Matt Canada coach 
at multiple levels at multiple spots. What do you think is the number one thing he brings to a post Ben Roethlisberger offense and passing game? I mean, obviously it's kind of a meme that Matt Canada uses egregious amounts of motion on every snap <laughs> and Ben didn't like that. So that it didn't fit together. But even on the play following that touchdown that didn't count to, to Deontay Johnson, they used a short return motion with Pickens to identify yep. coverage because that's what Canada uses motion for is as a coverage identifier showing that touchdown to Deontay right now. And then, Oh, here it is. That's yeah. Right here's here. the return motion. Yep. Corners following. So he knows, okay, it's cover one. I got my back to the flat backer. Can't fight through trash in time. Let's yep. get to the pylon with a catch and run. There we go. We're in business. And pick uh, Pickett uh, told Pickens like to come and then no, we're good. Let's go back on that side. He reads the matchup too. Yeah. So this was to me like, Everything you can ask for a rookie quarterback to me, you saw on this drive, and this is back-to-back weeks, like manipulating the two-minute drill and like executing it perfectly. So I, I'm not going to be surprised if, he, if he's the week one starter. I think that the floor of this offense is so much higher because I, I feel confident that even if we're not going to be wowed by the arm strength or he's not going to be Lamar Jackson or anything crazy like that, I think he can have a season where it's just, all right, that was my read pre-snap, and I'm going to it immediately. I think that's exactly where Deontay Johnson could shine. Well, that was a... Deontay Johnson conversation masked as a Kenny Pickett conversation. <laughs> Good. Uh, okay, let's jump to one of my truly favorite players this offseason. He's been one of your favorite players for the last two offseasons, Brett Coleman. It's mm. Brendan Ayuk time. My Give guy. it to us. My guy. Uh, so there's obviously been a lot of Brandon Ayuk hype since, I don't know, the first day of training camp. Uh, yep. and I went out to Niners training camp for myself and, and stood on those sidelines and watched him work for a few days. Nobody could cover him. And I mean, nobody, the only thing that held him back was the occasional wild ball from Trey Lance, actually a little bit more than occasional, but he was just beating the brakes off everybody. I know there's the common trope of, oh, best shape of his life. No, he's literally in the best shape of his life. And and Kyle Shanahan has said as much. The difference between how he showed up to camp this year versus last year, and Shanahan went in detail on this of, you know, his rookie year was the COVID year. They didn't have an offseason, so he just showed up. And then in the back half of the year, when he finally got in shape, everybody else was still getting in shape as well. So he wasn't really punished for not being in shape the first half of the year because nobody was in shape dominated as a rookie in the back half of the year and he just thought that's what the nfl is is you just show up in july and then you go be a good football player so he didn't really work out in the offseason last year obviously i didn't know that you guys didn't know that you guys were high on (laughs) i too uh and all of a sudden he shows up and he's just in the doghouse from day one and we're like what is going on here turns out wasn't in shape didn't make any excuses, you know, learned from that, eventually got into playing shape in the back half of the year. And then what do you know? He started out producing Debo as a receiver in the back half of last year. Part of that, obviously, was they were using Debo more as a running back because all their running backs got hurt. But even when, if you just look at snaps where they were both lined up as receivers, Ayuk was still out producing Debo. So shows up to this year's training camp, taking the full offseason seriously because now he knew he had to. And what do you know? He's dominating again and looking like their best weapon out of anybody on the same team as Debo and George Kittle. He still looks better than everybody. So I'm once again all in on Brandon Ayuk. The talent never went anywhere. The skill set never went anywhere. He's just actually in shape this time. And I think he's ready to go out there and just absolutely murder everybody. 
I mean, it's time to fall in love with Brandon Ayuk again. We, we've been talking about this. Well, it's one side a little bit from my end versus Hayden's. But since we posted that first video on Brandon Ayuk, he's jumped up 18 spots, so a round and a half. Mm-hmm. To me, the biggest difference, Col- Brett, I almost called you Coleman, Brett, it's um, where he wins on the field and how that relates to Trey Lance's arm versus where Debo won. And I'm not saying Debo's a limited player at all, but if we looked at targets 10 plus yards and outside the numbers last season, he had 22 of them. Debo Samuel had nine of them. And now we know so much of the field was focused to the middle, which can be difficult to throw to. It's a lot of trash, but that's where Jimmy G peppered over and over and over again. Not saying he is a perfect player at all. He's absolutely going to make mistakes as you outlined, but now the full field is totally wide open. And while the efficiency last year was all geared towards Debo Samuel in terms of taking these shorter passes and going deep in those highly efficient on deeper patterns, we're going to get more high value targets is a better way of putting it for deeper patterns much more often. And we even saw it last year, Brett, right? Like in just the two games that we saw with Trey Lance versus Jimmy G, there were those outside breaking routes outside the numbers that Jimmy G sailed that Trey Lance was hitting. I'm really excited for it. I'm, I'm excited to ride the roller coaster of what the 49ers offense is going to be this season. I just oh, got it will be a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I wanted to, to talk about here. And this is where I'm conflicted on Brandon because I, I agree he has a lot of talent. He has been very inconsistent to start, but you see the flash. Like he looks out incredible at some some points. Is Trey Lance capable of having the 17th overall player, the 54th overall player, and the 75th, uh, 71st overall player as pass catchers? Like to me, if, if we're high on Brandon Ayuk, are we completely out on Debo Samuel in the second round? Are we completely out on George Kittle or or is Trey Lance going to be the quarterback one this year? Like to me, this is an offense where you just, I don't think there's going to be enough volume in the past game to warrant all three of these guys hitting. To me, it's like pick your pick your poison here. You're either really high on Brandon Uke and we are all the way out in, uh, on Debo Samuel or George Kittle, or we're ranking Trey Lance as like the quarterback too. So I, I'm not sure what to do with this. I, I think I probably need to move Brandon Uke up and I'm already all the way out on Debo Samuel. I think I might need to bring George Kittle down and Debo down some more to get up on this brand that you train. I think they can all coexist, but you have to hit every green light in terms of how this system functions, meaning George Kittle, you know, all of the RPO stuff where we're going to hit the glance routes off RPOs or, you know, he's running um, like the little, the little backside digs when they split him out. Um, or, you know, hitting slide routes off play action to generate yards after catch. All that kind of stuff needs to be his. Debo can still do a lot of work in the screen game and, again, hitting the quick passing game stuff, but you're hoping to get a few hundred supplementary yards as a rusher. And then Ayuk being the true number one wide receiver. The wrench that can get thrown in here is, A, if they all start kind of mixing roles uh, because then all of a sudden that opens it up. Okay. Well maybe Danny gray one week is going to be the guy who gets all the deep targets or, you know, maybe Juwan's the one who's getting all the red zone targets. I want clearly defined roles of Ayuk's the number one Debo's the quick game guy slash hybrid running back Kittle's the guy who, if we just need yards to start a drive, you know, give him some yards after catch. And he's the one who works all the quick stuff off play action. Uh, that's what I need to happen. The running backs, I, I, I'm out on all of the running backs. Oh. But I need to be out on the running backs 
to justify my takes about all the pass catchers because there's only so many yards an offense can have. I don't like that explanation for Debo Samuel in round two. And I agree with it. Like, I, I agree with your take. But to me, I mean, to be the number two, the gadget guy, hope a couple yards uh, on the ground in the second round to me is like. Oh, I, I don't have him in the second round. I have if you're third Debo in the second round. round. Yeah. Because I have him. Let's just go half PPR. Right. Because that's Underdog. God's game. Best ball. Hopefully all of you are playing right now. <laughs> Look. If you have that one home league that you're checking out Brett's rankings for, if you're checking out our show for, the best way to prepare, as you know, Brett, is to do a whole bunch of underdog fantasy best ball drafts. So go and do that right after the show. Easy peasy. People tend to stick around for the entire mock when they have to pay $3 to do it. That's my experience with it, at least. (laughs) You you never get full auto drafts in underdog, which is why I like them. I've probably done like 20 of them just to prepare for my main league drafts. Perfect. Um, but I have Debo as a a tentative in half PPR, tentative round three player behind, you know, obviously all the top guys, Devontae, Jamar, Jefferson, Diggs, Cup, CD, Brown, Sutton. I am heavily debating putting Tyreek and Pittman above him as well. Because again, we are hoping we hit every green light and that he gets those rushing yards. If he doesn't get those rushing yards, he's not even going to come close to that value. All right. Halfway through. Appreciate everyone who's here. If it's your first time, again, our whole goal is to help you win that fantasy football league at the end of this month and during the season. So, you know, hit that subscribe. Even push the like button while you're down there below. Okay. Plenty more names, plenty more goodness. We talk a lot about preseason already because you watch it. I watch it. It's one of the most beautiful times of the year. And maybe the man that has impressed us more than anyone else. Damian Pierce. Rookie running back, Mm -hmm. Houston Texans. I don't know if you still have any piece of your heart attached to the Houston Texans, but whatever you have left, I'm sure it grew six sizes the first time that Damian Pierce touched the football and wanted to run over a defender's face. I still love the players and the coaches and, you know, a lot of people in the front office. It's just the the people that pay all of them that I have an issue (laughs) with. (laughs) So I I will fully invest in, in Texans fans again with my wallet um, when there is a different owner there, but in terms of rooting for the players and all of their success. Yeah. I I still do that. And especially for a guy like Damian Pierce, because how do you not love Damian Pierce? He runs extremely hard. Uh, Some of the pass protection reps that he's put up, so funny have man. been ridiculous <laughs> like straight up spine bustering linebackers yep. yeah. so yeah he's going to get a lot of third down work because he can do that um not to mention i think that all the high leverage situations you know red zone goal short yardage all that kind of stuff he's going to get that too rex burkhead will still get touches marlon mack might still get touches but in terms of who's going to get the most touches this might be one of the few running backs in the league that actually gets to that you know, 50% overall share, which these days is a godsend compared to most of the league. Yeah. I think six running backs last year had 60% of their team snaps. Only one back in Najee Harris had 70% of the snaps. Uh, As you know, us savages, us sickos who grind these situational snap rates for players in the preseason noted that, Damian Pierce did not even play in this past preseason game. Marlon Mack did. Rex Burkhead did. That is the number one check mark 
in his corner right now is Lovey Smith being like, oh, these seven, eight runs that I saw in preseason week one is enough for me to put this guy on ice because he is going to be our leading rusher. Yeah, because they they the entire league saw what happened to J.K. Dobbins last year. If you know, you know. Yeah. So why bother? Would you do you know anything about his situation at, at Florida? I don't want to dive too deep into this, but it's just pretty amazing that like he never played more than 23 uh, snaps in a single game, despite, you know, breaking 36 tackles on 100 carries or whatever. Well, I mean, just ludicrous numbers. And it, it's one where. When you didn't even have to squint to see like how not a chaos runner he was, but how imposing of a physical presence, because we know that if you create space on your own, because good backs create or pick up the yards block for them, great backs create in their own. Javante Williams, Kareem Hunt, we can keep going on through these prospects. And Damian Pierce is the next one. He truly is. If, if you ever get Dan Mullen's phone number, I would love to ask him that exact question. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of Gators fans that would too, because he was the best player on that offense and they just didn't give him the ball. Yeah. Um, you have your rankings pulled up. Who is the mm-hmm. most high-profile name that you have Damian Pierce listed over? Because right now mm-hmm. on Underdog, he's going ahead of, obviously, the free-falling Antonio Gibson, but one spot ahead of Rashad Penny, Cordero Patterson, Kareem Hunt, so on and so forth. I, I have him just behind like that little group of Ramondre, Edmonds, and Pollard, who grew yep. up you know, like round mm-hmm. seven-ish or so. I have him right after them. For now, I'm probably going to move him up again. Um, but I have him right ahead of Cordero, um, Gibson, who I'm going to end up inevitably moving down again. Yep. Uh, Gainwell, Penny, Hunt, Michael Carter, Kenneth Walker. Uh, I think that's totally Ty fair. That, that's exactly where he's going right now in underdog. So I'm sure that you would exit a whole bunch of drafts with him right now. Yeah, 90s. Yeah. 80s, 90s. I think that's like the, the thing. And I think some of your home leagues, he might be ranked in the default rankings at like 145th. Yes. And in that case, if you're in a league 20th, if you're in a league with people that don't pay attention. Oh, yeah. You're going to get him in the 13th round and get a top 15 running back. Two more names. Another guy who has impressed that you just mentioned, Brian Robinson with a still awkward Washington commanders. Uh, We've talked a lot about this on our show, Brett, where it felt like at multiple times, Ron Rivera, like, put out in front of Antonio Gibson, hey, man, if you screw up, your job's on the line. Uh, with the draft pick of Brian Robinson with certain times in training camp and then preseason week one on his second touch, boom, the ball is on the floor for Antonio Gibson. And since we have seen Brian Robinson draw the start, Antonio Gibson work as the punt protector and also the kickoff returner. Um, we like Antonio Gibson of a talent, but in the end of the day, for a traditional coaching staff, he's a replaceable talent for them. I, I would be curious to get both of your thoughts on this. Uh, I think Brian Robinson is this year's Eli Mitchell, although we're finding out before drafts that he's this year's Eli Mitchell. Um, you know, people remember last year, Mitchell went into a backfield situation that was relatively murky, and there were a whole bunch of other names that we thought were going to be the guy until it became very clear that Mitchell's the guy this year. I think Robinson is going to be the guy for Washington. The only difference is uh, thank God Antonio Gibson did us the courtesy of letting us know that the coaching staff is not very happy with him in August, not in September. Gibson. I'm right there with you. 
in terms of physical talent, he's awesome. But the vision has been spotty at best. And I'm being yeah. kind that it's been spotty at best the last couple of years. It's still not good in the preseason. He still has fumbling issues. Brian Robinson's already a better pass protector as well. Yep. So I, I think Robinson's just a better player. And I think, you know, we all kind of had red flags when they took a running back in the third round, despite all their other needs. We're like, oh, that's weird. And then about a week into training camp, we're like, oh, that was that was on purpose. That was targeted. They were they were planning for this because I think they knew what Antonio Gibson was, even if we didn't know what Antonio Gibson was until now. I think we're looking at a running back uh, depth chart with three completely different skill sets. Brian Robinson, the most consistent punishing rusher. I think Antonio Gibson, there'll be some concepts that they looking for a home run uh, where he's the best option, maybe on some pitches, something like that, where you're just like, all right, one cut and go. And then JD McKissick is going to be out there and passing down. So I think Brian Robinson's their probably their best running back at this point. Antonio Gibson just never fully developed. The problem is, is if you start slicing and dicing this backfield into three ways, and we're talking about the commanders, it's like, I'm hoping that he turns into like a flex option. And I think that's fine for where, how late he's been going. Like that's already a big win. Um, I'm just a little bit nervous when you have JD McKissick out there on third downs, and maybe there's some concepts Antonio Gibson, even if he has fumbling issues, even if he's not hitting the right holes, that there's still going to be something because Brian Robinson just doesn't have that top end gear. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'll be chasing Brian Robinson to a point, and then I'm going to be like, okay, that's enough already. But if you've been on Brian Robinson already, like that's already a win for you because he's moved up like 40, 50 spots. I still think he's got room to climb like another 20 spots. What's your max round that you're taking him in? I moved him to like 110, which is above ADP currently. I would rather have somebody like Damian Pierce. Um, I would rather roll the dice on a remote. Ramondre or Rashad Penny, someone someone I think has a chance to have the entire backfield to himself or most of it. I just see this kind of being chopped three different ways, assuming there's there's a lot of health. Right now he's going as running back 43 on underdog. That's right in that range of and he's sandwiched between uh Naeem Hines and Kenny Gainwell. Um, it's interesting because we all obsess over preseason performances yet no one is really moving that many Washington Washington commanders players up in relation to other teams like Jahan Dotson you can still get as wide receiver 62 despite the first round draft capital and I don't know if that's a commander's thing if it's a probably Carson Wentz thing and definitely just, that <laughs> <laughs> just a belief but I'm, I don't I'm not saying we're getting them at a discount but we're not having to overpay like we are with some of these other risers and, and fallers that are rookies that everyone obsesses with. If this was happening, let's just say Brian Robinson was uh, with the Rams and oh. we had oh, doubts yeah. about Cam Akers, he'd be a third round pick. Yeah. The Chiefs, if this if his yes. name was Isaiah Pacheco, he would oh, be Oh my God, yes. Earlier. Isaiah Pacheco's <laughs> going, how, how, actually that's a good exercise. How many spots behind Robinson is Pacheco going right now? It's yeah, like 30 he, right now. It's, it's going to no, it's be not. 50. It's oh, 11. It wow. It's 11. What? So Brian, Brian Robinson has an ADP yeah. of 128. Isaiah Pacheco has an ADP of 139 right now. Pacheco wow, can't see, man. Fast. Pacheco's oh athletic, and he can catch the ball in the flats, but he almost every single run, he makes the wrong cut. So I think we're – it's definitely Brian Robinson. It's like not, no question. Okay. Last <sighs> one before my internet fails me. Let's – uh. The name you wanted to bring up was a Tennessee Titan, and his name is not Traylon Burks. 
slot wide receiver Kyle Phillips. This has been your guy since the pre-draft process. And now I'm sure every single positive report, you get a Google alert on your phone, Brett, and you're like, oh man, I get to talk more about Kyle Phillips today. The first time I ever saw Kyle Phillips um, was I was at uh, UCLA practice before the Hawaii game. And one of the, the, I was there to see a few different people. Greg Dulcich was, was the, the main one that I really wanted to look at that day, as well as um, uh, Sean Ryan, who ended up going to the Packers in the third round. Those were like the two guys I wanted to look at. And then they had uh, Tito Ogbonia and a couple other DBs. And then uh, <laughs> we get to practice and uh, the guy from UCLA was showing us around in their recruiting department was like, oh, by the way, you should, you should, you should look at Kyle Phillips too. And he was beating everybody there. And I was like, okay, he looks, he looks intriguing. Let's keep track of him. And then, you know, he has a, a huge game against LSU. Um, you know, he shows out against USC and he's having all these great games. And then the next time I saw him uh, was at the Shrine Bowl. And I was like, okay, so I've seen him at UCLA practice. I've seen, you know, tape of him in live game action. Let's stand on the sidelines and see how he matches up against other all-star caliber DBs. Not a single person could cover him in any reps at all. And it got to the point where by day three of practice, they started pulling him out of some team drills because the quarterbacks weren't throwing to anybody else. He was the only receiver the quarterbacks were even bothering to target in team period. And so he didn't even play in the game either because he he did everything he needed to. And at that point, both, you know, my podcast co-host EJ was there as well. We're like, he's probably the best player here. He might not be the first drafted, but he's probably the best player here. So he ends up going in the fifth round. We immediately were like, that's perfect for them. They need a slot receiver because you're going to have trail on outside. You're going to have Robert Woods as well. They need a dedicated slot receiver, especially one that blocks his ass off like Kyle Phillips. And then he starts doing the exact same thing to actual NFL players. Nobody's covering him, roasting everyone, whether it's his own DBs or joint practices. He has been phenomenal from day one to the point where even when they're doing, you know, best two on two to end joint practices, he's one of the two they're sending out. So I said at the day he was drafted, he could catch 70 balls as a rookie, which for a fifth round slot receiver sounds insane. I think even I might have underestimated Kyle Phillips. There's a lot of great receivers that I'm huge on in this draft that that are, you know, fourth round picks or later. Uh, Khalil Shakir, I'm a massive fan of. Eric Izukama, I was a big fan of. He ended up, you know, having a, a wild preseason and he could end up replacing Sed Wilson as the number three in Miami sooner rather than later. He's been phenomenal. There's a lot of receivers that were taken in the fourth round or later that are all going to be really good players and really good players immediately. Kyle Phillips might be the best out of all of them. And I don't say that lightly. I think he's a already locked in into the slot uh, in three wide receiver sets. I'm curious if he's ever going to be good enough to be physical enough on the outside. Do you think that he can be a two wide receiver set starter at any point, or is he more traditional slot? Uh, he's straight up slot. Yeah. Not because I, I, uh, he is physical. He's rocked. I remember interviewing mm -hmm. him like, the, the the veins on that dude's forearms are insane. But at the same time, like you you still do need a little bit right. of length and yeah. catch radius to work out. And just there. wait. I don't, just actual and weight. just wait. Yeah. yeah. Like he's dense, but he's yeah. not big. Yeah. <laughs> if that yeah, makes sense. Sure. Um, so 
kind of flipping this to the Traylon Burks conversation. Obviously, Traylon Burks was a slot receiver primarily, a little backfield touches occasionally outside, but it was like, I think it was like 37 snaps as an isolated wide receiver on the outside. Um, they're trying to make him the X because if you have Bobby Trees as your flanker, I think Phillips is going to be the slot. He's trying to be the X receiver. How do you think that, how long do you think that development period is going to take for Traylon Burks? I don't, I don't know where you, where you were pre-draft, but to me, you see the upside, but I see a runway that's going to require a lot of work because he's basically switching positions. Like slot receiver manufactured touch and then being the true X receiver is like basically two different positions. So I'm kind of curious on your like long-term Traylon thoughts. I think every single game, there's going to be a first quarter catch that's like, whoa. Because mm-hmm. I think he's going to show up and he's going to be so big and so explosive that he might catch a couple corners off guard every now and then. We're like, okay, I I didn't expect that. Second half, I think it's almost going to be like um, the the anti Brian Edwards, you know, where it's like, oh, he shows up in the fourth quarter and nowhere else. I think Traylon Burks once corners kind of feel him out because he's not super well developed as a route runner and mm-hmm. in terms of like you know how he plays with corners at the line and. You know, Devante, that clip just went viral of like the Rolodex of things he has in his heads based on how he's taking his read step up to a yep. corner. Burks doesn't have that yet. There's a lot of receivers in this class that do. Burks is not one of them. So it's going to take a little while for him to get there where he's going to have answers for a variety of different techniques based on the concept he's trying to run, based on the split he's in, all that kind of stuff. So I think, again, there's going to be like a nine route down the boundary every single game that he gets early when he's just overwhelming people with his gifts. And then once corners figure him out, I don't know if he quite has the toolbox to kind of dig out of that yet. He will eventually. But I think what we're hoping for is big plays and touchdowns. And that's about it. Volume, I I don't expect to be there. Yeah, I agree. Brett, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for doing it. I know that, again, your draft guide is up for people to both play in their home leagues, to play on underdog. You've been posting some YouTube content also around fantasy football. And as everyone knows, you just wrapped up all freaking 32 teams on your bootleg football podcast. So uh, you grind, man. It's, it's so, I love having people on here and all our guests do who do the work, who look at it from a different perspective than Hayden and I. And and that's why we love having these conversations. So really appreciate it, Brett. Anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Yeah, there are some people watching this that might not actually be on Underdog yet. If you use promo code Brett, they match your deposit up to $100. So, you you know, just saying, I'm going to be doing some drafts later. Join my Discord. I'm going to be doing some some drafts with people. Perfect. So hop in. Let's do that. And, you know, win a cool $2 million by winning Best Ball Mini 3 or a cool $1 million by getting second place or a cool $1 million by having the best team drafted in Best Ball Mania 3. Also, there are a few smaller tournaments on the way here in the next couple weeks, a $3 tournament and maybe even a $5 tournament that like where those little dogs called Hayden. People have been asking me about the damn puppies, so you better give them the actual actual information so they stop (laughs) filing into my DMs. (laughs) All right, Brett, you're the man. Always enjoy it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back here tomorrow with another show. Talk to you all soon. See ya.